Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Blue Wire. is a city of champions once again. The Cleveland Cavaliers select Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. Here comes Sexton. Some ribbon. And he got it, young ball. Continues to wear him up. Do you know what the Cavs fans are calling the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton backcourt? What? Sexland. Oh, that's good. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cleveland Cavaliers fall to 1-2 and two against the New York Knicks this season and had probably one of their ugliest games of the year. Definitely the most frustrating from my perspective. And with me today to talk about it all is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Well, you know who wasn't that frustrated? Your boy. Because uh, <laughs> at halftime, Kylie said she wanted to watch a movie, so... <laughs> <laughs> I watched a movie instead, and and then uh, mid fourth quarter, I said to you uh, via G chat, uh, "Should I rewatch, or should I or rewatch? Should I watch the second half after Kylie falls asleep?" And you said, "No." So I did <laughs> not. I did watch a Darius Garland highlight reel, um, and feel like I have done my my duty as a Cavaliers podcaster. Yeah, that's about all you really missed in the second half. The other thing that was notable, a little weird, but definitely notable, was uh, with about five minutes left to go in the game, I I think they were down 16, Dean Wade made an appearance rather than going back to Larry Nance Jr. Um, And he basically played for the stretch where they got it down to 12 and then when it fell apart uh, to 20, which was a little bit confusing. Um, Obviously, the... With the game kind of being out of hand, they didn't go back to Larry Nance Jr., who did not look right at all with that hand. Uh, may, probably didn't want to chance it with Garland either. Uh, he had a collision where he hurt his shoulder again, uh, the shoulder that's been bothering him. Uh, seemed to hit some shots after that and kind of went on his explosive stretch. But Dean Wade meeting full minutes over Torian Prince was uh, a little bit of a surprise for me. Maybe that was a bit of a... Our dear uh, coach, J.B. Vickerstaff, just throwing his hands in the air and going, fuck it, we're not winning. 
that might be part of it. The other factor was Jetty Osman probably had one of his worst games of the seasons. In the second half, he had a stretch that um, was pretty much nothing short of like just a total meltdown where uh, missed a bunch of shots at the rim, uh, was getting abused on defense. And maybe that was part of the rationale too, was Julius Randle was being a little more assertive in the second half. So you want to throw a body on him. You don't want to go to a center. So maybe that's why Dean Wade was there, but I, I Note, think- noted physical presence, Dean Wade. <laughs> Speaking of physical presence, we, we do need to talk a little bit because one trend I, I think we're seeing so far this season is the Cavs are struggling against teams that are physical. And I did have a few people mention to me, um, well, kind of saying, but it's the Knicks. Like, I, I get that they've been all right this year, but it's the Knicks. And I, I think some self-awareness needs to be necess- uh, is needed here because teams probably say that when they lose to the Cavs. These are two franchises that are trying to prove that they're legitimate. On the season, the Knicks have the fifth best defensive rating in the league, uh, better than the Cavs. They have a better offensive rating. Their net rating is 16th, while the Cavs are 24th. And obviously, there's a million qualifiers there. But I think we should give some credit to the Knicks. They're a good defensive team, and they play a physical style of defense, which the Cavs have struggled against this season. Yeah, I mean, they're big. They, they have length, uh, you know, one through five. You know, R.J. Barrett is, is you know, long-armed. You got Julius Randle, who when he's actually trying is actually a very capable defender, though he's been a turnstile the last couple of years. Like I think it's part of the reason that last year was such a disaster for them is because he stopped trying at all on defense. Uh, but he's a capable switchy defender. That's just super physical. He's a brick. He's hard to move. And you got Mitchell Robinson at the five, Nerland's Noel capable team defender at the backup five. Like, yeah, they're not easy to score on. And they got one of the, maybe the best defensive coach of his generation. So, you know, it was not going to be an easy game. I think that we should continue to be concerned about this Cavaliers offensive ceiling because mm-hmm. um, they're not good on offense right now. There's just no way around it. Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, it certainly didn't help that the way the game was officiated, they were allowing a lot of contact. And that was something that was very frustrating for Garland and Sexton. Do you, and- do you, do you know what the Cavs offensive rating on the season is right now? I would guess like 104. Offensive or defensive? Offensive, you asked. Their offensive rating is 80. Oh, no, hold on. Oh, okay. Sorry. I had a filter wrong. <laughs> it's, Jeez, uh, it's, 10, our... it's 104 on the dot. Hey! They had an 80, yeah. They had an 89 uh, in the last game. And uh, <laughs> and that's, wh- that's where I was going to. And my brain got confused. It's been a day. Anyway, uh, but I mean, their offensive rating just, their offense sucks right now. And, and, you know, it doesn't really, and that number is skewed by all the point guardless games they've played. But I do think we've learned that anyone who's in a big hurry to trade Kevin Love when he comes back uh, is probably uh, a little bit amiss because they right now are having a really hard time generating good looks against any defense that's trying at all. Yeah, I, I think that that's where I wanted to go with this because now we, we have a decent enough sample size. We're 19 games into this season. We're almost a third of the way through, which is crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I think it's fair to say the Cavs have overachieved based on the context of the season and whatnot. But we have a big enough sample size where we can start to look at some of the trends. And one of the things that really stands out to me is that the Cavs just lack a shot creator in the front court a lot of times when you're playing these physical teams and and they're really kind of getting up into sexton and garland 
a lot of the bigs are reliant on those guys to create for them. You don't have a guy that can create his own shot or shots for other people, but most importantly, just give them an offensive, good offensive possession from the front court. Um, it's one of the thing, differences that Torian Prince has made this season. He's hit a lot of tough shots, but in terms of someone that can actually do that on a consistent basis, they don't have that. Yeah, I mean, and in fairness, you know, everyone's looking for elite wing scorers. Right. Uh, they're well, I'm, really I'm not hard. even seeing an elite uh, wing scorer. Like, front court could include the center position. Like, Andre Drummond, as an example. About yeah, I mean, 30- he can. Well, he 30, has. Well, 30% of his possessions are post-ups, and he's in the 35th percentile. Another 10% of his uh, possessions are isolation, and he's in the 16th percentile there. So you're talking about 40% of one of your highest usage guys is getting really junk looks. And yes, he creates offensive rebounds, but even having someone like Kevin Love who can create from the high post, he can hit those kind of contested shots. He likes that, the 45 where he goes off the glass. Just to free up the rest of the offense, they they really are missing uh, a player that can get them an easy bucket in the half court. Yeah, and, you know, ultimately, I just don't think they have that much space either. Um, I don't think that they... You know, with their current lineups, their their current starters right now are Darius, Colin, Okoro, Nance, and Drummond. Drummond obviously can't shoot. Uh, Okoro right now is uh, uh, the three is pretty cold. I think he's under thirty percent from three right now uh, on the wing. And Larry Nance is a nominal shooter, but not someone who draws much gravity and with his wrist in the state it was last night I almost hope they just give him another week off after seeing what his jumper was looking like last Mm. night in the first half uh you know there's just not a lot of room for these guys to operate there's not a lot of um pain that that teams suffer from crashing in hard and playing physical at the point of attack because you just there's just you know you get past that first wall and then there's three more guys there waiting for you there's Mm. not uh, a great spot to kick and frankly, you know, I think the only real guard on the team that's good at kicking out to shooters right now is Darius. Like Sexton, mm-hmm. his passing is getting better and better, but it's still what he can see. It's yeah. cutters, it's open bigs in the dunker. And that is a big jump for him. But like they're not kicking to shooters even when they're there at a high level. But that starting lineup as a base does not have a lot of room. Right, and I I think Sexton kicking out to guys is a little better than you're giving them credit for, but I I think it doesn't take away from your overall point. One thing that kind of came to mind as I was watching last night, the emergence of Dylan Windler as a legitimate basketball player. We we talked about him on the last podcast, and he's just every time he's out there on the floor, he's doing the right things. Uh, He's looking way more confident in his jump shot, uh, hitting over 40% there, um, shooting well from the floor. I think think he's at 75% from two point uh, from within the arc. Like he's someone that brings a lot of nice things to the table. And it kind of got me thinking when you, you look at what Larry Nance brings to the table. Yes. Right now limited. He doesn't really have confidence because he's playing hurt. His shooting wrist is busted to, uh, to some extent. I almost wonder as Windler gets more comfortable and as he's available, if you aren't better off kind of pairing he and Nance together and Okoro and Love together, 
like if that's going to be your kind of front court pairings, I, I think you'd want Isaac Okor out there for defensive purposes. When Kevin Love's out there, you, you're trying to make up uh, both for what you lack in size with Sexland, as well as what Love doesn't bring to the table on the defensive end. And Dylan Windler starting alongside Nets, I, I think that gives the Cavs the, the spacing they need, which kind of, I mean, if you're looking at it now, means maybe starting Windler short term o- over Isaac Okoro. Yeah, what a long way to get to, I mean, just pouring cold water on what could be a fun, hot take, Justin. Because mm. <laughs> what we're suggesting here, what we should have led with is the that, that take that gets the people going is that I think I think it I think in this current state of the team, it's time to move Isaac Okora to the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Wendler has been a capable enough uh, on ball and team defender that you're not falling apart with him on the floor, and he just makes more sense um, in this current iteration of the starting lineup alongside you know a, a banged up Larry Nance and uh, Andre Drummond. You need someone who's moving off ball, who's generating attention and who prevent who presents uh some gravitational pull for these guards so i, I think dylan Winler, if i had my druthers and i didn't have to worry about ego or anything like that and frankly i don't really think the Cavs should have to i don't yeah. think isaac's played particularly great the last few games um and it's not like he's you know i don't think that his impact has been made his you know his starting a guarantee i mean we were having this discussion before the season about who should start and it, you know, they ended up going with the rook and that's fine. But if this team is trying to win games right now, I think Windler is a better starter among the rooks. Right. And the way that this Cavs team has kind of operated to this point in the season is you earn your minutes on the defensive end. And that's certainly been something that Okoro has done, but Windler plays hard on that end too. Yeah. And they were putting him on Derek Rose and he did well. Right. Like, I think even if Toreen Prince is starting at the four, uh, assuming Nance, they they rest him and uh, like if he misses some time, I still think you can start Windler at the three. Like, I I think it would be something that could work out. And I I don't really anticipate there being any ego there with Okoro. I mean, he is a rookie. All the the qualifiers we had coming into this season of it being kind of a a shortened uh, start to the season, uh, not a lot of time after the draft. Like, he's ahead of where I expected on the defensive end. And even offensively, like, he's shown me things that I didn't expect to see this early on. But from a consistency standpoint, and especially when you're prioritizing how the team performs and they have been a competitive team to this point in the season i i think it, it might be a smart move to go ahead with Windler. like yes he is a rookie but he was around the Cavs all of last year he's more familiar with what they're doing he's obviously an older player as well i i'm really impressed with how polished he is and i mean while he's healthy and while he's around why not give him the shot another benefit i like about this about this theoretical move is it allows okoro to kind of find his way offensively in lower leverage minutes. Mm. Um, right now, it's like, you know, when you were the starters playing against opposing starting units, you kind of got to be on it at all times. You can't really experiment much. You can't play in the pick and roll much because you got other players that deserve those possessions more than you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the idea of putting him in some lower leverage offensive positions. Let him kind of, you know, play in, his, you know, give him a bigger sandbox to play in a little bit against bench units. And then on the defensive end, something I really like is, I don't know about you, and I'm curious, we haven't talked about this yet. Mm-hmm. I have been much happier with his defense on guards than on big wings. 
Um, <sighs> not to say he hasn't been doing good on big wings, but on guards, I really feel his presence. If yeah, you if I, you I, move I, him off the bench, he becomes your de facto backup too, defensively, because mm-hmm. Jetty is going to eat minutes at the three. And you can have him chase around these smaller players and really, really be a point of attack defender, which I don't think the Cavs uh, really have off the bench right now. Yeah, I, I think if you're playing him with the second unit, you'd put him on whatever two or three is best, like on the floor. That's because, fair. Because one one thing that, yes, Jetty has had high a higher offensive ceiling this year than we've seen in his career to this point. But he's still been a disaster defensively. Like, he has been really bad. And I think having Okoro out there to prevent Jetty from ever defending the best offensive wing uh, that's on the floor at the time would be a nice move. Um, I do agree that Okoro can really bother some guards. I mean, you, you look at the strength that he possesses and the quickness to stay with them. Watching him guard Harden is specifically what I'm talking about, if, mm-hmm. if, if that's not clear. I yeah. think the way he guarded Harden, it was like, whoa. You know, like, because, like, the reality is against, you know, the LeBrons of the world, you still get up three, four inches right now. Right. Um, and, and when you can put them on guards, it just feels better. I, I think some of that, too, is guards are just by nature of the position a little more dynamic. So when you see Okoro defending a guard and taking things away from them, you notice that impact more than if he was on a wing that's kind of looking to spot up or cut off ball. Um, that that might be part of it. But I, I mean, if you're talking about disrupting a, a, a position that is has more responsibility when it comes to running the offense maybe that is a better use of his skills at at least for the time being as he kind of rounds out his game and kind of figures out his place uh in the nba yeah that that's kind of my theory at least you know i just think it just makes more sense for this current iteration of the team and you know i know kevin love is coming back soon but i i just think you know we continue to talk about accountability and we we continue to talk about playing making decisions to put your team in the best position to win games and you know kind of you know best the the person who makes the most sense gets the job and -hmm. right now in my opinion that is dylan windler hi pup (laughs) she's scratching away behind me what a dick Um, i would just like to note that it's nice i like it when your uh when your dog interrupts your podcast as opposed to my cat clawing at the door my daughter screaming next door while being changed (laughs) it it makes me feel uh, a little bit better yeah, I forgot to put the weight against the door because she finds ways to uh, to break into the office. Um, sure. I, I agree with what you're saying, though. I, I really do think that the Cavs do need to get more shot creators because right now at this point, that's Garland and Sexton, right? Like that, that was part of what we were really hoping that KPJ could bring to the table. That wing presence that can create a shot for himself is something they don't have. Uh, even like Jared Allen, like you're not going to get post up possessions out of him. You're not going to get a lot of uh, scoring in isolation. You don't get that with Drummond. Uh, Nance, you're you're not getting that. My God, do you want to know what percentile? Like, it's not a very frequent occurrence, but do you want to know what percentile Larry Nance is in post ups for the season? Uh yes, I do. One point three. Really? Because I thought he's been a little better than I thought he normally was. <laughs> I thought so too. It, it's just under nine percent, nine percent of his total possessions, uh, about one a game. But yeah, it, it has not been good. So that that's definitely a need. And we talked about two of the destinations that Kevin O'Connor had mentioned that have interest in Andre Drummond right now, which was Dallas and Toronto. Um, maybe with Dallas, you start to target someone like Tim Hardaway Jr. that can go out there and create some shots. 
uh, for himself and for other players too. Like I, I, I definitely think um, we've talked about the need of a backup point guard. That's really evident because the Cavs are dynamic and good when Garland and Sexton are out there. It's uh, nearly a plus five net rating. Offensive rating is about uh, 108. Um, they, like they've been good. They've been good on both ends of the floor and the team performs well when those two are together. But getting another ball handler to, to assist when they're staggering because everything drops off when they do stagger and getting a, a front court player that can create their own shot are two of the needs if you're looking at continuing to be competitive this season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to say because, you know, even THJ is someone who really is someone who thrives off of an elite creator. There's a reason that his, you know, his effectiveness has gone up in, in part and parcel with starting to play with a player like Luka Doncic. I don't know. It's it's hard for me to say. What I, what I will say is the backup shooting guard of the future is a little bit more open than it used to be. You know, KPJ is gone. Uh, so really, I if this team picked up a true go, it's this has been the weirdest roster construction to me because we start the year going too many bigs, and then mm. we thought too many point guards, and now it's all over the place. Like now we got we're good on bigs, not enough guards, and I I just don't know. Uh, you know, it feels like this roster balance just keeps you know changing like with the wind. But mm. I think they just need more. They need more shot creation and they need more ball handling. I think the number one thing they need actually is ball handling. I think we wouldn't be as worried about front court scoring if we had another true point guard that, that could be thrown out there that could, you know, run the pick and roll. I mean, how many players can run the pick and roll on this team right now, Justin, at a six out of 10 level? Two. Yep, like, that's that's not enough in the in the NBA, especially with how much pick and roll this team has to run. <laughs> you're you're right. It, it it certainly isn't enough. Um, like we we saw what a difference Dante Exum made, right? Like yeah. he was really effective, and the Cavs were really effective having him as a third guard. And you know what? I, I was a little. And he's not even good at it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he, he was he was good while he was here. This he was year. A, he was a solid, helpful player. But like if you if you said is that to me is Dante Exum good at running the pick and roll? I would not go. Yeah, he's he's great at running the pick and roll. Oh but yeah, he is a Dante guard. Exum just eats <laughs> in the pick and roll. Yeah, but he, he is a guard, right. like a guard that can run pick and roll and pass to the opposite to the weak side corner. Like they just don't have enough of it right now, especially given their shooting woes. Because here's the thing: the only other they have two guys on the roster right now, maybe three that can shoot threes with any volume. And one of them is the only, is one of the only two dudes who can run pick and roll. Mm -hmm. So like, they they just like, they just need more. They need more. And all, and all these players will just, you know, like I mentioned with THJ playing with, uh, with Doncic, everything starts to click into place. The more help you get. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, uh, Damian Dotson's been struggling with a bit of an ankle injury. He was playing through it when the Cavs were really shorthanded. So maybe that factored into why he was uh, scratched or sad as a coach's decision last night. But they really could have used another ball handler out there. Um, I, 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 If there was an explanation, I missed it. Um, that would be my guess was it's his ankle. But I, I agree with you. They, they really need ball handlers. They, they need uh, the spacing that Kevin Love can provide, that Dylan Windler might be able to provide now. Um, but looking you, at you him, know what, before but, before we uh, we get off this, isn't it funny? Because like I don't think that I really want anyone on the team gone, or that I don't want to get out of the rotation. 
I just want more of something else. You know what I mean? It's not like I think anyone, no one's really letting me down right now. I mean, Andre has been particularly terrible around the rim lately and that yeah. stinks, but I'm a pretty staunch Andre defender uh, compared to the rest of the Cavs Twitterverse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like I really want uh, anyone to really lose minutes. I've been mostly happy with Jetty. I've been really thrilled with Prince. I've been happy with Allen, been uh, you know happy with Nance when he's healthy. It, no one's killing me here. It's just they, you know, I think they just need to have uh, – JB needs more uh, stuff in his tool belt. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and that was one of the things that we talked about going into the season was when everything is clicking, this is a roster that can be competitive with just about anybody. But when you're relying on inexperience, uh, when you're relying on young guys to initiate the offense – you're going to have inconsistent stretches. You're going to have the start of the first quarter against the Knicks where the Cavs look great. They get out to a quick 15 points and score two more points the rest of the quarter, and it just looks awful. Like This is why it's so hard to look ahead at the schedule and say, yeah, that's a win, that's a loss, that's a win, that's a loss, because we're going through a learning process. And um, it, One thing, I don't know if you've noticed this, um, we're, we're going to go back to one of our favorite things, which is critiquing Twitter. But have you noticed how little benefit of the doubt some of these guys get? Um, like even Garland, for example, he had a tough start against the Knicks, obviously start, uh, ended the game, uh, with a flurry in the second half and had good efficiency, but like just even missing his first few shots in the game, the panic sets in right away. And I, I understand to some extent, just given how passive he's been. And even now that he's being aggressive, averaging almost 18 points per game as a starter, you still want to see him take a little bit more. Have you noticed that there, there's very little goodwill or benefit of the doubt going to most of the cast, not named Sexton? I don't know about that. I think, I think there's two people who get it really bad right now and it's Jetty and Andre. Mm. Um, when those two dudes do anything wrong, it is an apoplectic disaster. I shout, think, shout out to Chops, who was ready to cut Jetty yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I didn't watch uh, the second half for that reason. Um, it was bad. It was bad in all I fairness. Mean, it was. It was. Horrific. I mean, when it's but you know, and that's what Jetty did. We, how many times we got to say? You know, as soon as they have a player that can where you can pull him if he's playing having one of his bad Jetty games, then you you do that you know once they're fully healthy by the way they will be able to because Torian Prince is going to take all of his minutes when he's not playing well um (laughs) but what I'll say is you know I with Garland I think it's this I think with Garland there's a bit of extra hand wringing because of his frame Mm -hmm. because he's so small you know and when you're small your margin for error is lower. So people like, and, and you know, I'll even speak for myself as a fan. It's like, man, like, you know, I watched that first quarter. I'm like, man, the touch has got to be better. Cause mm-hmm. like the touch, when the touch looks bad, that's when I get like antsy as a fan. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, you know, you need to have that. Cause you're never going to have physical advantages, especially mm-hmm. while the jumper is not at a volume that, you know, we're going to keep shouting about until he starts shoot pulling more. Uh, which, by the way, he did. He did in this game. He took, I think, six threes. Thank God. Um, you know, so I think that's the root of it. I don't think it is a uh, a rage thing with him or like a... a oh, no, a, I don't a, think a, it's right either. Or even a write-off. But I do think there's a little extra anxiety because, you know, I think ultimately what it comes down to, and I'm trying to kind of prognosticate for the larger fan base here, but I think what it is is if Darius is a hit, ooh, we got a stew going, baby. 
That's, he's, that's definitely it, what it is. is and if he's, he's so a DJ important. Augustine, then it's like, oh, well, then I guess we got a, a team that doesn't suck. But there's a big difference between those two things. So I think people are pressing a little bit, hoping to have a stew going. Yeah. No, and I, I think part of it is just a byproduct of overachieving, right? Like now that the Cavs are playing better than we expected – you want the good times to keep going. You oh, want yeah. Allen to be good. And I, I mean, he still hasn't played even 80 games for his career. Um, you look at his numbers as a starter, as I mentioned, uh, 17.6 points, 5.4 uh, assists. He's shooting like uh, 48% from the floor, over 50% from three, n- over 90% from the free throw line. Like, it's good. It's better than we probably expected coming into the year, at least this early on. But because he's so important to the, the rebuild and so important to the Cavs' future, I do understand the anxiety, especially after Colin Sexton has arrived. Like, we know this guy is a hell of a player. He, he should be an all-star you guys should go out there and vote for Colin Sexton on Twitter and wherever else to be an all-star but I I definitely understand that component of it but as we do look ahead now we have back-to-back games against the Minnesota Timberwolves who I mean it's probably the worst worst team in the league yeah it's it's probably the worst their health this year yeah it's it's them and Detroit basically worst team in the league the other team that kind of would be in that conversation was Washington which obviously we had those two games postponed against them would have been great to get two wins there um one I would games. like to I well now hold on though because like I was much happier to get healthy no I and, and yes. we'll get those games back later I will say this about the Minnesota Timberwolves they're the only offense in the NBA that's currently worse than the Cleveland Cavaliers hey how about that so you can expect it to look a little bit ugly I one matchup I'm really looking forward to and I I kind of want to get your thoughts as well is Edwards versus Okoro because uh, obviously they, they had a very high profile game in college. Um, Edwards to this point this season has flashes of being just insanely exciting, insanely talented, but the results aren't really there. You know, like 12 points per game, 35% from the floor, 30% from three, uh, more turnovers than assists. Like he's kind of continued uh, what he did in college, just struggling a little bit more. Um, but the potential is certainly there. Are, are you interested to see that matchup? I'm just interested to get a better look at this guy over two games because, you know, I, I was a on team Edwards. Everyone's a little too low on the guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know, you look at that athletic uh, profile and he's one of those weird ones where it's like, yeah, he's averaging more turnovers than assists. But when I see him make some passes, I go, oh, not everyone makes these passes. Yeah. Um, his, he's one of those guys who, and maybe he is a guard version of the thing I always talk about with Andre, where he has the capability of making passes. A lot of his peers can't, but he doesn't see them often enough for it to really, you know, to make him an elite passer, you know, only the, you know, the LeBrons, the Jokic's, they not only make ridiculous passes, they, they see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are two very different skill sets. Maybe he's just only got one of those and his assist numbers will never match the 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 highlights that he can make when he sees uh the opportunity for a high leverage assist um but those guys i'm always gonna believe in just a little bit more you know i mean that that famous game against michigan state where he went uh bananas in the second half where he threw like a three-quarters court bounce pass that hit a guy in uh on the run like i was like ooh, this guy has a little something more Plus, he's got that weird personality where you go, does he like basketball? Does it matter that he doesn't like basketball? Because uh, it, it might be one of those, given his his general vibes. I'm not sure, but I, I'm very intrigued by him. 
I love every interview with Anthony Edwards. Like his personality really speaks to me. That guy is hilarious. And uh, I've heard a lot of really fun insights from him as well. He's a flashes guy, right? Like we talked about yep. it with Garland last year. Uh, yeah, the, the averages aren't great. It's only 14 and five kind of the last two months, but the reads he makes are advanced, right? And he honestly, like he what he's doing, I think is the right thing to do. Like, so many people will look at catch all metrics for first and second year players and be like, oh, their overall effectiveness uh, isn't that great. And actually, RJ Barrett's a great example of that. Like RJ has had some really spectacular games, like the high watermark games this year have been really, really impressive. And I, I think it's the same case with Edwards, but the overall averages aren't great. But when you're talking about young players, I wouldn't really worry about the overall averages. And actually, it's part of why I'd like to see Garland get up more shots. I'd rather see him have more explosive games one way or another than kind of being selective with his shot taking and kind of protecting the percentages and wanting his overall stat line to look good, which let's be clear. I don't think that that's what it is. Um, he has been gunning away the, these last couple games, but I'd like to see that continue. And a lot of times with young players, I, I think you need to fail in the service of trying to get better and trying to figure out what you can and can't get away with in the NBA versus, you know, what you would expect from someone like Dylan Windler, where you're trying to be a complimentary piece and not a main cog in the machine. Yeah, I mean, and think about the infrastructure there. He's got one dude on the team who's a good passer that's actually playing with Towns out. You know, mm -hmm. Rubio is really the only one who gives a shit on that team about finding you in your spots and, you know, make makes things easier for you. It's an it's an it's a series of ISO players um, running their own pick and roll and maybe you get it to attack a closeout mm -hmm. um, and he can't shoot yet. So that's not that helpful for him. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I just, I will be, I will be late on the writing off um, Edwards train. Uh, if, if he is going to be a bust, uh, I'm going to be one of the last people to hop off. Cause I just, you know, and, and I'm not always right when I do that, by the way, people act like that is like when you say, I'm not writing him off. He's a kid. You know, sometimes you're just wrong. Like, yeah. You know, Wiggins, Wiggins, I held on to for way too long. Oh, um, and you know, you know what, to he, his credit, he's been good this year. Like, he's, he's been solid. Yeah. Like, he's, he's improved on defense. He's been a good defender. And his he has been capable, but he certainly isn't anything close to what we hoped he, he would be. Right. And he never will be at this stage. It just seems impossible. Um, but, you know, so like, that might be the case here. They might have another Wiggins on their hands, but I'm not so sure about that. And I kind of want to hold off in the meantime. Yeah, as I mentioned before, when the expectation for a player is for him to be uh, a main cog in the machine, I, I think it's better to go out there and fail trying to do the right things and, and trying to develop your game versus... And when and when you talk flashes, by the way, mm -hmm. like he's had some flashes lately. Um, he had, let's see here, I got the game log up. Uh, he had 25 against Golden State of 9 of 19. Um He's he had eight he had twenty six against Portland like he's had games where he's he has gone off I mean those are both higher than Darius Garland's career high like you know like uh like you know like so it's not like we're not seeing anything from him it's just there's a lot of ugly in between you know and that's just two different roads up the mountain you know this is you know we talk about Darius I think Darius is a good comparison here because we're go how many times have we just said Darius we don't care if you shoot six for twenty we want you to get the twenty shots up. Because mm -hmm. you need to kind of try to find your way towards a, being a volume scorer. Um, and then, you know, Edwards is the other way where it's like, hey, Ant, 
maybe maybe pass that one off there, pal. You know, and uh, it's it's a lot of different roads up the mountain, but I don't think you can say definitively about anyone so far, unless you're just you know you had a predisposition predisp- on it. I agree. And I, I was someone that really didn't want him on the Cavs. Like he was basically on like a do not draft list. And but between the flashes and, and just kind of his personality and whatnot, I, I do find myself kind of rooting for him to do well. And also like, good Lord, like the, the Wolves have been rebuilding for so long. And like the Cavs are further ahead in the rebuild, even though they've drafted like one hell of a player in Carl Anthony Towns, they just haven't put the right infrastructure, haven't developed a culture. Uh, like it's just a mess there in Minnesota. So I'd like to see him do well just, just for that own reason. Uh, but uh, that is the interesting thing going into these two games back to back is I'd like to see how the Cavs do against him because I, I think limiting him and having him play more towards his averages versus the explosive games is going to be important so that you prevent the wolves from upsetting the Cavs. Cause as you mentioned before, they have uh, just a terrible offense and he's one of the only ways that they can have a good offensive performance uh, in any given game. Cause D'Angelo Russell, like whatever stats he puts up, doesn't really seem to move the needle when it comes to wins and losses. Well, yeah, I mean, he's the precautionary tale of, you know, someone who, you know, I think uh, Colin Sexton, you know, if the the worst case scenario for Colin Sexton is becoming D'Angelo Russell. So when he doesn't get to the line, doesn't shoot enough uh, threes to make it work. You know, if you live in the mid range too long, then eventually you kind of start being an empty calorie guy. Um, Sexton you know, would I need to be worse than he is right now to be D'Angelo well, yeah. Russell. Well, just, well that's just what going, I'm just going to mention that. Well, yeah, to be clear, this would be like if, if he went the wrong direction with his right. career, um, <laughs> not he's already better than D'Angelo, uh, in my opinion. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that it's going to be, yeah, they just have to, they have to take care of business here that it's just, they have to, because they're going to get their teeth kicked in in February. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the theme of the season, right? Is the push to find consistency for these guys, particularly the young core, to find ways to elevate themselves and the team on a consistent basis. So this is a really, really good test because winning games back-to-back, even if you are the better team, they have, they've seen a few things from you. They're going to make some adjustments. It's almost like a little mini playoff series. So I'm really looking for this matchup. I'm I'm excited right now because even though it was a frustrating loss against the Knicks, the Cavs are still getting us invested. They're still making me care about the results. I'm excited to see what Dylan Windler does. Like there, there's a whole lot of things that I'm excited about. I'm not sure the Cavs have had too many frustrating losses this season. I mean, I can they really haven't. count it. I can count it on two fingers. I think, I think the Boston game, cause like it was just a no show, even though I guessed that it was going to happen. I mean, still just yeah. when you lose by 40, that's a frustrating loss. Um, and then this New York game, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe I'd also that... mention Indy. I, d- I mentioned Indy. Uh, I don't know about that. I just, you know, you know how highly I think of Indy. I think mm-hmm. losing by 20 to them on the road is not, and they were close most of the way. Maybe the other one would be that first New York loss where they just their offense was just dead out of the dead out of the water. Uh, for some reason, they just couldn't hit the blind side of a barn. But that didn't really frustrate me because, like, I don't care if this team is missing shots. I care if this team isn't playing hard or um, playing dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't think they played particularly smart uh, in that Boston game or or hard. I didn't think they played particularly. Um, smart in that new york game i think they got out, out they, they got out physical they got out efforted 
Um, and that that's what you don't want to see. But mostly this this has been a series of either, you know, wins and lessons. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what we're getting here. We're not getting a lot of just straight up L's where you just got to go home and be bummed out or, uh, you know, just like just learn nothing from it. But this is they they might hit a stretch here in mid-February where they're just getting their teeth kicked in, even if they're playing well. Um, so they, they have to build some positive momentum going into it, I think. I agree. I mean, there's no better opportunity than back-to-back games against the team with the worst net rating, uh, the worst offense in the league, and the 27th-ranked defense. Like, the Cavs should be able to make things very ugly for them. So let's hope for uh, some good games here. Uh, we'll be back, I, I guess, on Tuesday to talk about those back-to-back games and preview the start of a very rough stretch where the Cavs finish off their week uh, with a game against the Clippers as well as back-to-back games against the Bucks. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be an experience. But until then, I want to thank all of our listeners for your support. Hope you guys are having as much fun this season as we are. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support the show, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Cavs.